0: Hey, welcome back to The Journal Feed, my name is Nick Zelt and this is the only place to be spoon-fed the latest and greatest of emergency medicine. Our team here combs through literature to find the best articles that you don't have to, and then we provide expert summaries no bigger than a spoonfuls that you can keep up with the ever-changing landscape of acute care medicine. And if you feel like you should be rewarded for your time listening to The Journal Feed or if you'd like to support us, then We offer CME credits through a partnership with Hippo Education. All the details for that are at our website at journalfeed.org. Now then, this is the audio version of the past week summaries, which this week were brought to you by the marvelous Clay Smith. The first article from this week was titled, Prophylactic Antibiotics Are Routinely Indicated for Dog Bites, Out of the Annals of Emergency Medicine. These next two articles are another series of journal feed point and then counter point, where we cover two articles with opposite conclusions back to back. Now then, dogs are lovely, puppies are even several steps better, and we love our companions as if they were our own. But just like any other animal, they actually pose some health risks. What I'm trying to say here is that they bite. And mouths are dirty places with bacteria such as pastorella and Capnocytophaga. But the use of routine antibiotics for all dog bites is controversial. These wounds are less likely to become infected than cat or human bites. So is the benefit worth the risk? These authors point out that an early meta-analysis that did favor the routine use of antibiotics included studies with high risk of bias. And even one study that wasn't specific to dog bites... There was a Cochrane review on the topic, which found no benefit to routine antibiotics, as did a later small RCT. Ideally, a really big and juicy RCT could be done, and a big one I think would probably be necessary to find benefit, because infection rates are quite low. So the chance of benefit doesn't seem very high, And the other side of the coin is then, what are the risks of giving antibiotics? Antibiotics have side effects and they pose the ever-looming risk of increasing antibiotic resistance. So while a one-size-fits-all approach might be dubious and controversial, there are some cases where there's agreement that being treated with antibiotics after a dog bite really should be done. These authors name these groups as patients over 50 years old, those with major puncture wounds, wounds requiring extensive debridement, bite wounds which were closed with sutures, bite wounds on the hands, and patients who are immunocompromised. They also point out that pastorella infections usually happen soon after exposure. So if antibiotics are given, then short courses of about three days should be enough. All right guys, in a spoonful, routinely treating dog bites with antibiotics to prevent infection may not be beneficial and may result in antibiotic side effects as well as promoting resistance with unlikely patient benefit. Next is the second article titled, Dog bites are an indication for routine antibiotic therapy out of the annals of emergency medicine. This is the counterpoint these authors are arguing that antibiotics should be given routinely for patients with dog bites. They point out the IDSA recommendation to use antibiotics for certain and certain subgroups. And the list of these patient populations is actually fairly long. So we covered some of them just a minute ago, but these go on to add further patients, such as asplenic patients, those with advanced renal disease, edema of the affected area, and injuries penetrating the periosteum or a joint capsule. They acknowledged the Cochrane review mentioned in the last article, but point out that another meta analysis came to an opposite conclusion and found a number needed to treat of 14. And that's a lot better than statins, which we practically have in the drinking water. They also acknowledge the risks of giving antibiotics, but point out that most of them are pretty mild, like a bit of nausea and diarrhea, going on to say that, well, the evidence isn't absolutely clear on it. If we're thinking risk versus benefit, then a short course of antibiotics for dog bites might make sense. In a spoonful, this counterpoint finds that the limited evidence supports routine antibiotic use for dog bites, and the benefit outweighs the risk. Our own author, Clay, tends to agree with this point. In the end, though, it may come down to a discussion with your patient and a little shared decision-making. Next is the third article titled, A Systematic Review of the Effect of Delayed Appropriate Antibiotic Treatment on the Outcomes of Patients with Severe Bacterial Infections Out of the Journal Chest. It all seems pretty simple. If sepsis, then treatment, but life is never so simple. One of the keys to sepsis treatment is empiric antibiotic therapy given early. And of course, this makes sense. You wouldn't want to wait to see what grows to give antibiotics because what's growing is already growing inside your patient. But some studies still show conflicting results with regard to the impact of delayed antibiotic administration. So let's round up all the evidence that we can and see what it says all together. This was a systematic review of 37 studies done after 2017 with hospitalized patients with severe bacterial illnesses. Most of these studies were retrospective and a pretty large amount of heterogeneity was found between them. From the studies included, they defined a delay in antibiotic administration from anywhere between more than one hour to more than five days. They were able to meta-analyze 19 of the studies and found that if there is no delay in antibiotic administration, this was associated with a marked reduction in the odds of mortality with an odds ratio of 0.57. And that's quite hefty. If you were hoping that this study would also clarify the debate between early and immediate antibiotic administration, then I'll have to disappoint you. But don't worry, that's the topic of the next article. So, in a spoonful, timely and appropriate antibiotic therapy given as early as possible was associated with lower mortality. Now, on to the fourth article titled The Outcome of Immediate Versus Early Antibiotics in Severe Sepsis and Septic Shock a systematic review and meta-analysis out of the annals of emergency medicine. So we just covered the fact that delayed antibiotics is no good. It does harm to our patients. Now we need to be a bit more specific. Exactly how early should we be giving antibiotics if we're trying to avoid giving them too late? How fast should we be pushing for and planning for in our protocols? There are two basic groups here. There's immediate which is giving antibiotics in less than one hour, which could only be considered immediate if you have a doctor's sense of time, let's be honest. And then there's less than three hours, which we'll call early administration of antibiotics. This study was a systematic review of 13 studies, totaling 34,000 patients that included adult patients with severe sepsis and septic shock. They found no difference in mortality between immediate or early antibiotics, and no subgroup showed benefit either. In fact, the subgroup with severe sepsis even showed possible harm with immediate antibiotics for an odds ratio of 1.29. Overall, the quality of evidence was quite low, and there were only seven studies that were included in both this study and the previous article. But they were looking at different things, so I guess that's all right. This study also focused on the emergency department while the previous study focused on ICU or hospitalized patients. Evidence seems to point to that giving antibiotics in less than an hour may do more harm than good. Perhaps we need to be a little bit more patient and take a little bit more time to understand what's happening with our patients rather than just to rush antibiotics into them. Also, even getting antibiotics in a patient in less than an hour is hard to do. So in a spoonful, there does not appear to be a mortality benefit in getting antibiotics into our severe infection patients in less than one hour compared to doing it in less than three hours. And finally, the fifth article titled Point-of-Care Ultrasonography for the Diagnosis of Skin and Soft-Tissue Abscesses, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis out of the Annals of Emergency Medicine. In recent years, emergency medicine has really flocked to the use of POCUS in just about anything that's amenable to having a probe pushed against it. So it comes to no surprise that many studies have been done for the use of POCUS to distinguish cellulitis from abscess. Some think it's amazing, Well, others aren't nearly as positive. So what do we do when this happens? Of course, we put it all together and do a meta-analysis. So that's what we've got here. This study included 14 prospective studies using POCUS to determine cellulitis versus abscess in the emergency department. Overall, POCUS was 95% sensitive and 85% specific with a positive likelihood ratio of 6.5 and a negative likelihood ratio of 0.06. The numbers varied a little bit between adults and kids with POCUS performing about 10% better in adults. Specifically, the sensitivity was 99% in adults and 89% in children, and 91% specific in adults and 80% in children. But not only can we see better, but this was also important information as management was changed correctly in 10% of cases and changed incorrectly in only 0.7% of cases. And the reference standard for this study was purulent discharge versus not on incision and drainage. So I believe that POCUS helps. In a spoonful, point of care ultrasound was accurate in distinguishing cellulitis from abscess. Now then, that's it for articles for this week, so we'll take a small break just for me to share a quick clinical pearl that was recently taught to me. Your peritoneum absorbs things. We know this quite well because we can do peritoneal dialysis. One such thing that it absorbs is creatinine. So if you have an intra-abdominal urine leak, you can expect to see a high creatinine. Same goes for bilirubin. If there was a leak during a cholecystectomy, then you don't have to worry immediately when your labs don't trend down as quickly as you'd like. It may not be that they're obstructed again, so checking the post-operative notes if you can could be helpful. All right, let's do a rapid review of everything that we learned today. From the first article, authors argued that antibiotic treatment for dog bites was unnecessary except in high-risk patients as infection rates are low. Then the second article was just the opposite, in favor of a short course of antibiotics for all dog bites. Who wins? You decide, every day when you go to work, actually. So as long as you're making a decision that is based on evidence and you've considered all the patient factors, then I'm sure that you're making the right one. From the third article, don't dally with antibiotics for sepsis. Giving them on time was associated with a 43% decrease in mortality. Next from the fourth article, we have to be quick, but we don't have to be too quick for antibiotics for severe bacterial infections. This study showed no benefit and even a risk of harm for getting patients with severe infections antibiotics in less than an hour compared to getting them antibiotics in less than three hours. Finally, from the last article, gel up that probe and put it where it hurts. POCUS seems to be quite accurate in distinguishing cellulitis from abscesses in the emergency department. That is all I have for you for this week. Links to all the articles summarized can be found at journalfeed.org, where if you haven't already, you can subscribe to our newsletter and get daily spoon feeds through your email. Our goal here is to provide better patient care through spoon feeding. So we're trying to help you keep up with the latest research, one spoonful at a time. Thank you.